All right. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Peggy. If you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to take a break from our trek through Luke. And as Dan mentioned, we're going to have a different kind of service this morning, a little shorter than normal. And I'd like to preach from Ephesians 4 to help us as a body to think through some things we're going to be talking about later on this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read just verses 11 through 16. It's a passage that Dan has preached on before and we've referred to at different times. It's a great passage, especially in light of the fact that uh, the overall call of the Bible is that we would rest in Jesus, that we would not trust in our own good works, our own righteousness, but that we'd actually trust in what he's done for us to reconcile us to God. And as reconciled sinners... We're to live our lives trusting in God, hoping in God, looking to God for the help we need and for the happiness that our heart longs for. And the way we pursue our enjoyment of God is by pursuing love. We seek to do what the Bible tells us to do. And we seek to do that individually. We seek to do that as families. And we seek to do that corporately. And this passage is a great passage that talks about the corporate life of the church, and how we're to pursue love corporately. And so let me read these verses for us as we spend a few moments this morning uh, just thinking about God's call in our life to pursue love as a church. In verse 11 it says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In a little while, we're going to uh, have a, uh, a meeting that has to do with a staff position that we proposed uh, a while back uh, with regard to Jackson, and we had a vote, and um, the result of that was that we realized that we weren't as clear as we needed to be on what we were proposing, and the response of the body wasn't as clear either. And so our bylaws um, encourage us, give us a vision for having further meetings, further discussions, uh, if there is a lack of clarity on what we're actually pursuing. As elders, we are called to lead in light of two things, the word of God and the people of God, which means we seek to lead the church to flesh out what we see in the Bible because uh, that's our only authority is what the Bible has to say. And that's our calling as elders is to lead the church to seek to be obedient to the scriptures, to apply the scriptures, and to flesh the scriptures out. But we do that in the context of 
relationships, people. Uh, when the Bible says that the elders aren't to lord it over the church, that's part of what's meant there. You don't just rush ahead without sensitivity to the people in the body and whether or not God might be uh, leading in a different direction in light of uh, what the body might be saying. And so we take our votes very seriously. We take the input we get from the body very seriously. We also take the the scriptures very, very seriously in terms of what we believe we should be doing. And so it's a combination of those two things that um, we feel like, we believe, according to scripture, that we're to lead in light of. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. Um, As I said, uh, the meeting that we're about to have is for Clarity. We want to be more clear than we've been with regard to what we're proposing. We also want to be more clear on what the response is from the body as well. And what I want to do during this few minutes we have here is basically to give you the biblical reason for why we would even propose what we're proposing. Because again, that's what we're supposed to be doing as elders. We're supposed to be leading the body to flesh out and apply the scriptures. And um, involving the body means the way we're suggesting that it flesh out may or may not be the wise and good thing to do. And we're going to pursue God's will in that regard. But I want you to understand why we would even propose the things that we've been talking about lately. And I want to just, I'm going to try to be as plain and simple as I can be because I don't have a lot of time. So let me just kind of bottom line it for you. For me and for us, what we're proposing is not to invest in a position, but to invest in a person. And the reason why we're suggesting this is is in light of what we find here in this passage. Now let me say, this is an important um, note. If you agree that what I'm saying, the Bible says, encourages us to invest in people and invest even in a particular person, that does not mean that if you were to vote against the proposal, you would be voting against that. Because there are two issues here. One is, have we as a body embraced what the Bible says about investing in people and the importance of that? Secondly, how are we going to do that? So I'm not in any way trying to twist your arm by using the scriptures to vote a certain way. I'm simply saying I want you to understand why we as elders would even see the importance of proposing what we're proposing in light of what God does call us to in terms of loving corporately. And so I hope that's clear. Um, could spend more time on that, but in light of the time, I won't do that. But as we go through this, hopefully you'll see what I mean. And there are just five things that I want to briefly touch on that Paul talks about here in this passage. And the first thing is we should, as a church, be concerned about growing. We should be pursuing growth as a church. If you look at verse 15, he says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. And then in verse 16, he talks about the working of the body, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So Paul uses the terminology of growth, and he highlights the fact that it is something that we should be concerned about, that we should be, as a body, very much pursuing growth because that is God's vision for the church. So as elders, we're concerned about growth. 
as members of the church, you should be concerned about growth. And we should be concerned because we want to be obedient to the scriptures. We want to embrace the call to grow as Paul talks about it here. Now, he uses two uh, metaphors uh, to talk about growth. One is the growth of a body. Now, um, as we grow, we're born with all of our parts. You know, you don't, you don't, you're not born with no arms and then at five you get arms and, you know, at ten you get legs or anything like that. You're born with all that. It's just in miniature. And so one kind of growth is basically the growth of the limbs you already have need to get bigger and stronger. So you could call that um, doing old things better. So there's a kind of growth that's to happen in churches where you're not doing something new. You're doing what you're already doing, but you're doing it better. And it's, in some sense, stronger and healthier. But he also uses the image of a building. And buildings, you can add rooms on buildings. You can, you can make them larger. So there is a kind of growth that is also adding new things, that you're doing something that you weren't doing before. And so both kinds of growth are what we should desire to see corporately as a church where we're doing old things, what we've been doing, but we're seeking to do them better, but we're doing new things as well. And so, and that can be, you can apply that personally, you can apply that corporately, uh, it applies in both cases. And so it's helpful to keep that in mind that Paul is encouraging us to have a vision for growth and to think about it, pray about it, and to be pursuing it. The second thing is that growth may or may not include additional church members. Why? Because that is not to be the focus. The reason I say that is if you read this passage, there's nothing in here that seems to focus on numbers, adding people to the church. Now, the only thing that could point in that direction is, and I think it's an appropriate pointing, is when he says in verse 11 that he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. Evangelists preach the gospel, and people are added to the church through that ministry. But it's very, very clear that that's not the focus of what Paul is saying. He's not saying you need to make sure you're adding people to the church all the time. His focus is on something different. But I want to bring this up just to say that it's not wrong to be concerned about whether or not our church is growing numerically. Why? Because numbers equal people. People who need to be saved. People who need to grow. So if you understand that it's not just about numbers, it's about people, and it's about people being saved. It's about people growing in Christ then we ought to be concerned about numbers from that perspective. When you think about it in terms of personal terms, people uh, that need to, to know Christ. And yet, I think the reason why he doesn't emphasize this, and you, you don't see it emphasized in the letters in the New Testament, you need to add numbers to your church, it's because of things like what we find in 1 Corinthians 3, where it says, Paul says in verse 6, I planted Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. 
Um, you read in the book of Acts, uh, it says the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved as they went about what they were called to do. And so the kind of growth we want is the kind of growth where God adds to the church. So what I'm saying is I believe that if we focus on what Paul focuses on in this passage, we will see people added to the church. God will add people to the church as he sees fit. But we should pray and long to see people added to the church and embrace the focus of what Paul says here. I think he alludes to the same kind of thing in Colossians chapter 2 when he says, he talks about holding fast to the head, which is Christ, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. Um, there can be growth that is both natural and artificial. You know, if I lose my leg, if it's amputated, there's a sense in which I can put an artificial leg on. So there can be artificial growth or there can be real natural growth. And I think when it talks about a growth which is from God and where God is adding to the church, then that's the kind of growth that we want. Um, someone has talked about trying to um, add fruit to your life like stapling uh, apples onto a tree. You know, you don't want a tree filled with stapled apples. You're adding apples to the tree, but you're not adding any life to the tree. You're, you're not really achieving what you're supposed to achieve there. That's kind of artificial kind of growth. So when we talk about being concerned about people and numbers, we're not talking about pursuing an artificial kind of growth or just a numbers kind of growth. We're talking about having a heart for the lost and a heart for people growing and a heart for seeing God change people's lives and seeing God add to the church. Um, but Paul focuses primarily not on that per se, but he focuses on what I believe is the heart of the passage when he talks about growth being, in this context, when he says we need to grow, about growth in Christ-likeness. That that's the focus of, a, of the passage, to become more like Christ. And he says that in verses 13 and 15 and 16, in verse 13, he, said, he talks about, the, uh, at the end of verse 12, the building up of the body of Christ. In verse 13, at the beginning, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. He's talking about the fact that the kind of growth we need to focus on that needs to be primary is that we need to grow to be more like Christ, both personally and corporately. He goes on to say in verse 15, we're to grow up in all aspects and to him who is the head, even Christ. Um, and then he talks about in verse 16, uh, each part working as it should causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so he basically highlights Three different things. One, the very center of it is we need to become more like Christ. We need to not be a baby Christ in. <laughs> We're to be a, an adult Christ in. Uh, be like Christ like an adult, not just be like Christ like a baby. We're to grow up and mature. And that's why he talks about becoming mature in Christ. And yet he, he highlights the fact that there are two things that need to happen. 
there needs to be a growth in faith. He talks about the unity of the faith, and that's why um, it's important that we do grow in our trust in what the Bible says, our trust in the Word of God, but that we also grow in our application of it. We grow in love. So again, he says in another place, faith working through love. In order to be more like Christ, you have to grow in faith and you have to grow in love. Those two things go together. And so he's contrasting adulthood and being like a child because he says in verse 14, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And so he's saying we don't want to be children in terms of our faith and our understanding and our, our uh, trust in what the Word of God says, nor do we, we want to be children in terms of how we're relating to each other and how we're loving people. We want to be like Christ, mature in our faith and mature in our love. Um, just this week, I watched a little clip from what is called the Elephant Room, which is where pastors get together and they debate certain things. And it was a debate between Stephen Furtick and Matt Chandler, and they're talking about different perspectives on the worship service and preaching and different things like that. And I just thought about the fact that we can get hung up on, um, okay, what, what should we really be about? Should it be evangelism or should it be doctrine or should it be worship? What, what should be our focus? And I think part of the problem is we, we focus on things and make things, we say, let's keep the main thing the main thing, and this is the main thing. And I think we talk in ways that are really unbiblical. The main thing is to become like Christ. Why is that? Because to the degree that we don't love lost people, we aren't like Christ. To the degree we don't love the church, we aren't like Christ. To the degree that we don't love God, we aren't like Christ. So whether you're talking about witness or worship or the body of Christ and and going down deeper into the scriptures, whatever aspect of church life you might say that, that's really what it's all about. According to this passage, Paul would say it's really all about Christ. It's all about becoming like Christ. And all of that is a part of becoming like Christ. And so we don't want to be children. We don't want to simply do what children do. We want to do what adults do in terms of witness and worship and loving one another in the body of Christ. We don't want to have the Peter Pan syndrome in, in the church. We don't want to be content with just being children in our views or children, the way we relate to each other. We want to be mature. Well, the fourth thing is that growth is about ministry in the local body. Individual believers using their gifts and following their calling. You could say that the goal that Paul has in mind here, when he said, you could say he's saying the main thing is being like Christ, pursuing Christ, being like Christ, loving Christ. Christ is at the center of it all. But what are the means to that? What are the means to becoming like Christ? And he makes it very clear that it requires us working together. So he says in verse 16, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Uh, Whereas Hillary Clinton and others may say it takes a village, Paul would say it takes a body. 
in order for us to grow to be all that God wants us to be, for for us to become like Christ. It's It takes work, and it's a community project. That's what Paul is saying. It takes work on every person's part, and it's a community project. It takes work on all of our part. Every member of the body, he says, is to use their gifts in service to Christ and to follow their callings. Um, that this kind of growth doesn't just happen because one person is doing something. It's because all of us are doing what God calls us to do. Uh, One man has said, in this passage, Paul brings out the truth that it is important that every believer does his or her work well in the service of Christ. Likening the church to a body points to the importance of every part performing its function properly. If this does not happen, the whole body is impaired. But if all the parts are working together as they should, the body is effective. It does things. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. You've got two teams, the Chiefs and the 49ers. You know, if the 49ers only put five people out there on offense against the other team's 11, they're going to be in trouble. If everybody that's supposed to be on the offense or on the defense or on the special teams doesn't decide to do their job that day, I don't think they're going to win. The quarterback doesn't show up. The running back doesn't show up. The linebackers don't show up. The different parts of the team don't show up. It's going to impair the function of the team. It's going to keep them from winning. Paul is arguing that by God's design, not because God couldn't do it a different way, but God chose to do it this way, he has chosen that we work together as a team. And that as all of us play the role that we're called to play, exercise the gifts that we have, pursue the callings that we have on our lives, then the body grows in Christ-likeness. And if we don't, then there's going to be a hindrance to that. There's going to be a consequence to that. And so it's an encouragement for us to see that all of us are important. Every single one of us as believers has has gifts that God has given us and has a calling on our life to minister and serve and work somehow in the life of the body, to cause it to grow in love. And the question is, for all of us, have I identified what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, And am I pursuing that in my own life? Well, the last point, again, I could talk about all these points for a long time, but let me get to the last point. As I wrap this up, so we're to grow. We're to grow in Christ-likeness. An important means of that growth is actually everyone working and playing together as a team, so to speak. And the last point is that the leaders in the church, the elders, the pastors, are called to um, support this growth. It says in verse 11, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And so it's the role of the pastor, shepherd, elder, overseer, whatever term you want to use, the Bible uses all those terms, to actually be about the business of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry, the work of service. The word service there is for a waiter. It means humble service in the body. And so uh, the idea of equipping, you could think of it in terms of um, player coaches, coach, coaches that actually play the game, but they also help equip the, team, the 
their teammates to play the game. Or you think of it in terms of um, outfitters that get you equipment and maybe provide a guide and, and give you supplies when you're going on that backpacking trip, an outfitter. Or you can think of it in terms of Home Depot. You can do it and we'll help. You know, we're going to give you what you need so that you can work and do what you're supposed to do. So whatever picture is helpful for you, is, is, it's important to, to see that there there is a role that we as pastors are to play in that. John Stott would say the New Testament concept of the pastor is not of a person who jealously guards all ministry in his own hands and successfully squashes all lay initiatives, but of one who helps and encourages all God's people to discover, develop, and exercise their gifts. And so that's what we want to do, and to do it better, and to do it more. Um, but there's one other important aspect of this, is that there are some people that, as a church, that we're to support financially in order that they can exercise their gifts and fulfill their calling. That's why you pay me. It's because the Bible talks about the fact that there are some people that are to serve in ways that they need to be freed from the financial obligations that require them to do another job so they can fulfill the work that they've been called to do. And that's why we had more time here. And you can read through 1 Corinthians 9. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about the, the right to refrain from working for ministry purposes. He talks about, he quotes from the Old Testament, says, you know, the verse in the Old Testament, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And he says, is God concerned about oxen? Uh, No, he's really concerned about ministry and about meeting the needs of those who have a calling on their life to minister um, as much as possible, full-time if possible. And so, uh, he talks about the fact that the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. That's why you you enable me to do what I do and free me up from having to work at Home Depot and so that I can study and prepare and, and minister. And I appreciate that profoundly. I, I love you for the fact that you've invested in me as you have. It's been a huge blessing that I will thank you for eternally. There's no doubt about that. In 1 Timothy 5, he also says the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. What does double honor mean? Every elder is supposed to get honor. The idea of double honor is you you pay them so that they can be freed up to serve the body in ways that they couldn't do that if they were not paid. And so... um, All of what I'm saying factors into why we're proposing what we're proposing. That's the point of me preaching from this text, even though it's so brief. um, Hopefully you can get why I'm doing it and what I'm trying to convey. The bottom line, let me wrap this up in two minutes. This is the application of this passage in our minds to what we're proposing. We're proposing investing in a person, namely Jackson, not simply a position, so he can invest in the growth of the body in ministry so that we can grow more in Christ-like love. So that's the idea is that Paul is talking about the importance of investing in people so that they can invest in the church. And the broader picture outside of this passage is that there are some people God calls uh, into ministry 
that the body is to provide for financially so that they can invest in the body and actually help others invest in their gifts in the body as well. Again, this doesn't mean that our particular proposal has to be adopted. It just means we think we have a good biblical basis for why we're even proposing such a thing. But some might ask the question, why now, why not wait? It's not because I need someone to do what I'm presently doing. If anybody thinks that's why we're doing it, it's not because I need someone to do what I'm doing. Um, I love what I'm doing. Uh, secondly, it's not because I'm planning on leaving or retiring soon. It has nothing to do with, with that. Um, very quickly, it's because of, uh, it's for the purpose of growth in ministry. It's because of where we are as a church. It's because uh, we see a need to grow in this area. Um, it's because of um, Jackson's calling on his life and um, his desire to move forward in pursuing that calling and our desire to support him in that pursuit of that calling. It's because of providence, how things have played out over the last five months. Things that have come up and the things that have happened uh, have certainly moved us in this direction to at least seriously consider doing this. And finally, because of uh, the fact that there are times when God calls us to trust him, even when we don't know exactly how it's all going to play out and how we're going to afford it and everything else. We, we did a similar thing when we moved in here, um, and we're, con- we're suggesting that maybe we should do a similar thing now in terms of trusting God and um, depending on him to work it out and, and to cover the finances, the financial investment that we're proposing. So let me encourage you as we go into this meeting to listen closely, to ask questions, and to pray that God would work in your own heart as we seek unity on this matter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Help us to understand your word and to see how it applies here. And help us to respond as you'd have us to. We desire to do your will. We desire to be unified as a body. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.